0: So, there is something about young men that the more you add them together the less wisdom they have among them. <laughs> now the group, it has to be pure. If you put one adult or one girl into the mix, everything changes, right? But, but a group of just young men, they have a greater potential for foolishness than any other group alive. Now, this isn't true for young women, and I'm not 100% sure of why that is, but I will say this. If there's anyone out there that disagrees that this is true of young men, I have a story for you. This is a story that answers the question, what is the difference between wisdom and folly? And it's a story that could not have happened with any other group of people other than a group of young men. Not children, not adults, not young women, only young men. So, it's true that for young men, oftentimes, there are, they, they will find rules, and they will believe deep in their soul that that rule is only there to prevent something interesting from happening. Now, they can't always tell what those rules are going to be ahead of time. It's a know-it-when-you-see-it kind of thing. And I I want to tell you a story about a young man I'm naming Bob. Bob is not his real name, but I'll tell you two things about Bob. One, Bob is not me, so this is not a low-key way of me telling you a story about me. I have to say that because if I don't, a lot of you who knew me when I was in Bible college will assume it is a story about me. Uh, and two, Bob is a student at Lincoln Christian University when this story happens, and he is not me. All right. So Bob, one day, his senior year of college, he, he discovers one of those rules that's meant to prevent something interesting from happening. Someone tells Bob that he is not allowed to have a Christmas tree, a real live Christmas tree, in his dorm room. Now, Bob knows for sure that the only possible reason for this rule is to prevent something interesting from happening. So what does Bob do? He does what any young man would do. He waits until it's dark and no one is going to see him. And he drags a Christmas tree into the dorm, gets it into the room with his roommate and some other young men's help, and there it sits. And then Bob leaves for Christmas vacation. Bob comes back several weeks later. This tree is still sitting there, although whereas before, at the beginning, the tree had this pleasant smell to it and it was beautiful and and the other guys admired Bob for having snuck this in. Now the tree wasn't doing nearly as well, it had badly dried and Bob was distressed because he loved this tree. He was distressed to see that there was moss growing at the base of the tree. And so as the other young men on his floor all came back from their Christmas vacations, and they were all kind of socializing in the hallway, Bob decides to to go out with his problem. He takes it to this group of young men, and he says, there's this moss growing on the bottom of the tree. And the young men put their heads together, and Lord help us when young men put their heads together. And one of them says, you know, my father has told me that you can actually burn that moss off of the tree. But you can't just just use a lighter. You have to to put accelerant on just the moss. And then it'll burn right off. And so the young man, I think, Bob was, was no longer thinking about fixing the moss. He thinks to himself, I have an excuse to burn something. Right? So they put their heads together and they try to figure out, can we get accelerant? Turned out they could. Someone went and got a little bit of kerosene, which Bob generously applied to the moss. Do we have a lighter? Turns out they did. Nobody knows why, but they had a lighter as well. So Bob gets prepared to do this, and the young men crowd into his room. I mean, they pack in tight. They all want to see what's about to happen. And all of them look on excitedly as Bob takes the lighter, and he puts it to the tree. And to Bob's credit, the moss did burn away. But as happens when you light a dry tree on fire, especially with accelerant, so did the tree. It went up very quickly. And all of these young men who had packed into that room now had to get out very, very quickly. The smoke damage was so bad that everything for each room, three or four rooms down from that one, was ruined. Clothes, books. Electronics, everything is done. The smoke was that bad. So the firemen come, and they take care of the tree. And then the police come. And can you guess the conundrum the police had to work out? Is this arson? Because for this not to be arson, Bob and his comrades would have to convince the police that he, a senior in college, Lincoln only produces the best and the brightest. (laughs) He, a senior in college, did not know that if he put accelerant on a dry tree and lit it on fire, that it would burn. (laughs) Well, the police decided that it wasn't arson, that Bob was instead, as the book of Proverbs would say, a fool. Bob did end up transferring schools because the, the, the shame of what he had done was too much and he couldn't shake it. But, but wisdom is see, being one of these young men, seeing what's about to happen and saying, wait a second, wait a second, why are you getting a lighter? This is a terrible idea. The difference between the wise person and the foolish one is the fool looks on to see what will happen and the wise person says, no, this is a bad idea. Had one wise person been present, just one, while we wouldn't have the story, the event would not have happened. But there was not a wise person to be found. And I defy you to suggest that anything like that would ever happen in a girl's dorm. That is a young man's thing, and that's absolutely the truth. Now, the book of Proverbs was written with the intention of being a sort of conversation between a young man and a wise teacher for the purpose of teaching the young man wisdom. Now, a person might think that it's written to young men because in the ancient world, They didn't think it was important to teach women about wisdom. Well, I I disagree. I think that Proverbs is actually one of the most um, positive books in the Old Testament about women because there are examples of wise women all throughout the book. Wisdom herself is a woman. Proverbs is written to young men precisely because no other group of people has such an extraordinary capacity for foolishness. And the book of Proverbs, it's so, so full of teaching about wisdom that wisdom or one of its synonyms is spoken of 222 times throughout the book. That's a lot. And then by my count, I didn't find this anywhere, but I went through and I counted folly, which is the opposite of wisdom or one of its synonyms, is spoken of 111 times throughout the book. So that means wisdom or what happens when you don't have it occurs 333 times in one book. Now there's nothing there other than it's a little interesting, right? I I think it was probably on purpose, but the number doesn't mean anything other than this. If you want wisdom, this is the place to get it. And hear me, You should want wisdom. In fact, the book of Proverbs, in chapter 4, verse 7, it says that the way you know if someone is wise is if they work hard to get wisdom. Now, we're in this series on wisdom, and we're going to be spending the next several weeks in the book of Proverbs, looking through some of the themes, some of the specific Proverbs inside of the book. But all of them come down to this. You need to get wisdom. And this isn't a thing that stops at any point. A person doesn't arrive at wisdom. A person doesn't come to the place where they no longer need to grow. This is a process that begins and lasts over our entire lives. And there will be times in your life that you are the wise person. And forgive me, there will be times in your life where you are the fool. The goal of growing in wisdom is to increase the number of times that you are the wise person and diminish the number of times that you are the fool. So, if we were having a conversation with a wise teacher, like the book of Proverbs is made to be, a good question that we might ask would be, what exactly is wisdom? Well, we've told a story that illustrates it, I think, pretty well at the beginning of service today, but, but there's actually a word in the Old Testament that's, that's translated as wisdom almost every time it's there. And it's this word, chokmah. And I thought that was so fun, I thought I'd say it and have you repeat it after me. So everyone repeat, hokmah. That's the Hebrew word for wisdom. It actually specifically means something like, Skill at life. It it means something like being good at navigating through the world. Or you could think of it this way, and the way we're going to define it for this series. Wisdom in the Bible means living well. Wisdom means living well. And so with that in mind, we're gonna look at our passage this morning. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 to 12, or You can follow with me on the screen. Proverbs 9, 10 to 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So I want to zero in for a few moments on this phrase at the beginning of verse 10, the fear of the Lord. I I spent some time thinking over the past few weeks of the best way to describe this in a way that would connect and make sense to us today. A lot of the times we think of fear of the Lord being in the way that a child fears their their parents, right? They they love and trust their parents, but they know if they disobey, then bad things will happen. And while I don't think that's a terrible way to look at it, I think there's a better one for us here today. And I want to say this. The best way to think about the fear of the Lord is to think about remembering that Jesus is real. Jesus is real. You see, sometimes we can trick ourselves or fall into a trap of allowing God to become an afterthought. We may believe that He exists, but He stays somewhere in the background. And if we allow our faith to go that way, then we might, we'll believe that something like we need to be a good person. We need to go to church on Sundays and behave the rest of the week and, and we'll be fine. But if Jesus is real, then none of that works. That doesn't track. That's not what Christian faith is about. Because if Jesus is real, then every single thing in our life is different because of it. If Jesus is real, it changes the way that we make decisions. You see, if, 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 if he's not, then I decide what I want based on what will benefit me most, right? What will, what will get me the things I want most. But if Jesus is real, and I believe that he is, then he becomes the center and the focus of life instead of me. And so instead of me deciding what I'm going to do with my life based on what I want or what will get me the most of what I want, I ask Him. I look to the ways that He's called and gifted me and I follow. Instead of me deciding how I'm going to spend my money or give away my time, based on what will make me happiest, I ask the question, What has the Lord called me to do? Where does he want these dollars to go? Who does he want me to give my time and my labor and my effort to? And this affects every single decision that we make every single day. Because if Jesus is real, then every decision we make is a chance to follow and obey him or not. But it doesn't just affect our decisions, it affects our goals as well. You see, instead of my life being about pursuing the American dream, instead of my, my relationships with people about being simply something to make me feel good or to support them, I ask the question, what is the Lord at, up to in the midst of us? How does he want me to encourage them? Is there a way he needs me to confront or wants me to confront them? Has he called me to say something to them? The goals I have in my relationships, the goals I have in my pursuits change completely. And that's because my priorities change. In the, the book, The Purpose Driven Life, that was all the rage a number of years ago. I'll never forget Rick Warren, the author of that book. It was not a book I loved through and through, but the first line in it said, it's not about you. And see, that's exactly the truth if Jesus is real. Because instead of me living my life for the next 70 or 80 years, because that's all that I'm likely to have, and so instead of me living wanting to fill those with as much as makes sense to fill them with for 70 or 80 years, If Jesus is real, then that means I will live forever. Millions upon millions of years into the future. And my priorities can't be about spending those 70 or 80 years, this blip at the beginning of my life in a specific way. Instead, my priorities must be to follow him as he leads me to live in such a way that will make the millions upon millions of years that I'm going to live as close to him as possible. If Jesus is real, every single thing about our life changes. So when you read that phrase, the fear of the Lord, I want you to remember this phrase, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. Now, to do all of that well, to make our decisions and our goals and our priorities the way he wants us to, Jesus tells us that we need wisdom. Matthew 10, 16 says this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves if we're going to be able to serve him well, if we're going to be able to follow him closely, if we're going to be able to live our lives the way he's called us to, we need wisdom. We need to be able to live well. So back to our passage for today, Proverbs 9. I want to read those last two verses. Verses 11 and 12. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now, that, that, that set of verses might lead us to believe that we have this promise, that as long as we, we, we live well and we live wisely, then everything in our life is going to be easy. And that's not the case. You see, the book of Proverbs doesn't deal in promises. It deals in general truths. We can't just memorize the book of Proverbs and think that that means we've learned what it means to be wise, what it means to live well. Memorizing the book of Proverbs would be a pretty good start. And if anyone here does it, I will take you out to lunch or dinner and want to hear all about what the Lord has said to you in the midst of it. But that's not how wisdom works. These aren't promises from God. But the book of Proverbs is full of general truths. And those general truths apply most of the time. And what wisdom is is the process of taking them in and learning the time that they apply and the times that they don't. It's learning how to figure out, are you the one in the conversation that needs to listen, or are you the one in the conversation that needs to speak? It's learning to figure out, is the harsh word I want to give a rebuke they need to hear, or is it just folly that's going to stir up anger? Is this a time for me to be self-controlled, Or have I given way to cowardice? Wisdom is learning the difference in the midst of every single one of those decisions. Wisdom is learning, do I take the new job or do I stay at the one I'm already at? What has the Lord called me to? Wisdom is the discernment to realize this is me speaking, not the Lord. Or this is the Lord calling, not just me. Wisdom is the difference of taking this person's advice and rejecting this person's advice because you hear the truth that the Lord is speaking in one and not the other. Wisdom is something that we grow into. It's something we struggle and we wrestle for. And there are people here, let me say, that are very, very wise. But there are no people here that do not still need to grow, as the Lord calls us to, in wisdom to live well. And you want to know how to live well. You want to have skill at life. And here's why. Imagine skill about something else. Let's talk about painting. Now, let's imagine that you're going to paint your house and you have no idea whether or not you are good or not at painting. I was going to get there a second or later, but that's OK. Let's say you're not very good at painting. Let's say you're low on skill in painting. Are you likely to do it well, or are you likely to make a mess? And do you want to live in a mess you've created because you lack skill in painting? This is exactly what Lisa feared our kitchen would be like when I started painting it. It's not, but she was right to fear it. You see, if we're not good at something, especially if we don't know that we're not good at something, we're going to make a mess when we try to do it. And here's the other thing. You don't get out of doing life. So you're either going to be bad at it, and if you're bad at it, you're going to make a mess. You're going to make a mess that's going to affect the people around you. You're going to make a mess that makes it harder and harder and harder for yourself. But if you're wise, if you're wise, you're much more likely to do it well. That doesn't mean there won't be hard times. That doesn't mean there won't be trials and tribulations. That doesn't mean there won't be bad news. That doesn't mean that every decision you make will be the right one. What it means is that from the outside looking in, a person will see the fruit of wisdom at work. And so the book of Proverbs tells us it's time to learn to be wise that's going to lead us to our single-sentence sermon summary. It's coming at the end today instead of the beginning. Jesus is real, and he calls us to live well. Are you living as though Jesus is real? Do you look at your life, your decisions, your practices, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the things you give your heart to, are you living as though Jesus is real? And if you're not sure about that, just ask the question, if he were to walk with you in all of those times, because I have news, he does, would he nod his head approvingly or would he want you to do differently? You know that relationship that you've allowed to become contentious? How would Jesus want that to be? You know that sin that you've harbored and you've kept secret, that nobody knows and it's taking over more and more of your life? Are you willing to shine light on it, to tell someone about it, to help you let it go? Are you willing to live as he calls you to? Are you you willing to live as though he's real? And if you are, if you believe that he is real, the next question is this, are you living well? Do you feel like you're, you're, you're doing well in the areas he's called you to work? Are you succeeding? Are you finding that your decisions are the good ones? Or do you feel like the opposite is happening? Either way, I want to encourage you Come to the book of Proverbs. Open it up. The first nine chapters, there are these speeches or these sermons about from the wise teacher telling the young man, you need to be wise because young man, you are a fool. Chapter 10 on is proverb after proverb after proverb that's there for a specific reason and it's to teach us how to be wise. This is my challenge for you at the beginning of this series. The reading plan is going to catch up to the book of Proverbs very soon. So if you're following the reading plan, I want to encourage you that you'll have that, and that will encourage you to, to be in Proverbs. But also, whether you follow it or not, it's time. Open up Proverbs. Read the first nine chapters if you've never read them before, if you're interested in them. If you have a hard time with them, flip over. Start with chapter 10. Some of you that read through the Bible and you have a hard time understanding what's going on or have a hard time being drawn in, you're going to love the book of Proverbs. It's going it's to draw you in. You're going to see a gem after gem after gem in it. But one thing that's true for all of us is we'll all find wisdom there. So my challenge for you as we go through as we talk about what folly is next week, as we talk about wise words, as we talk about righteousness, as we talk about all these things from the book of Proverbs over the next several weeks, I give you this challenge today. One, start living like Jesus is real. If you don't, it's time. Come and talk to me about that. If you've never given your life to him, I would love to talk to you about that. And if you have, But right now, you're in a different place. You're struggling in your faith. Come, and I'd love to pray with you. Start living like Jesus is real. Start living well and pursuing wisdom. It's time to read the book of Proverbs. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. We love you, and we praise you. We ask for you to be with us. Lord, to fill us up with your wisdom, to help us to follow Jesus well. Lord, give us the courage to admit when we need help, to admit when we need instruction. Lord, give us courage to know that we are sometimes the wise one and sometimes the foolish one. Give us eyes to see the areas of growth that we need to see. And Lord, draw us. Give us a deep passion for your word. Help us to open the book of Proverbs and be changed by it. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.